I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show were you excited by the evolution of the brontosaurus situation yeah i was so many so many so many damn books Welcome to So Many Damn Books. Uh, my name is Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have R.O. Kwan Reese in the studio with us. Um, R.O. Kwan is a National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellow. Writing has appeared in The Guardian, Time, Vice, BuzzFeed, The San Francisco Chronicle, Playboy, Noon, Electric Literature, and elsewhere. Received awards from Yaddo, McDowell, the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the Seawants Writers Conference. I said that wrong, probably. Omi International, <laughs> the Steinbeck Center. Wow. And born in South Korea, Kwan has lived most of her life in the United States. And now you're here with us. Yes. And you wrote the you book, The Incendiaries. I did. Thank you for having me here. Thanks oh, for yeah. coming. We're so glad that you could come and joining us. Um, the yours, It feels like the buzziest book in the, in the known galaxy right now. It's really exciting to have you on. Yeah. How does how does that feel for you? Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> Does it feel that way? Like Well, you know, I'm I'm so grateful. Um it's been so strange, it's been so wonderful. Um in some ways I'm also you know, you you write a book. I worked on it for ten years. Um and for me it was such a private book. It felt mm-hmm. like a private dream in some ways. And so it's still surprising to me that well, I guess the book's been out for like four days. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it should be old hat to be by now. <laughs> but so people are, are talking to me about the book and they have been for mm-hmm. months since the, since the advanced copies have been out. And each time I'm always just a little bit startled. Like, how do you even know about that? Like, All right. <laughs> All right. I, I wrote it and I tried to put it out in the world. And this is what happens, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Now people talk to you about it. Like yeah. us. Like yeah. we're going to. That's actually, that's why you're here. <laughs> we're gonna t- we are going to be like those other people. We're going to talk to you about your book. I hope that's okay. Uh, first, you're going to tell us about the cocktail that you created for it. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's, I just feel silly already from it. It's a lot of alcohol. Um, it's delicious. <laughs> it's delicious. So I'm calling it uh, the time on fire, uh, which is, of course, I mean, you can't have something that wasn't at least on fire once um, in a cocktail uh, if for a book inspired by the incendiaries. And so I, um, I of course, was thinking about um, time and time, because why not? Sure. And time moves mm. so interestingly in this book. And then um, I just was, I had this grand poppy Amaro um, 
that is made from California poppies and pink peppercorns. And it's this beautiful Amaro and it tastes very strange. Mm -hmm. And then um, I wanted to do thyme simple syrup because I recently had an idea of if I could get an even better flavor of thyme out of it. Usually I just throw it in while it's simmering with the sugar. Mm. It's different this time. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that in bourbon, and you stir that, and then you uh, it with ice, and and then put that in a coop, and then you light some thyme sprigs on fire, and put that on top of the drink to give you the bouquet. Indeed, <laughs> I'm <laughs> really proud of this drink. Um, I've I've yet to light something on fire. I think for the, for a cocktail for the show. That's so true. Yeah. Um, I've thought about it. I want to do like an oi- orange oil essence, like Sazerac or something, um, oh, yeah. or a blood and sand, but fire and s- uh, turn it on fire and then you drink it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh yeah, one of those drinks. <laughs> anyway, the cocktail I made is tasty. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, it is. It's very dramatic when you light it when you light the time on fire. Oh, good. <laughs> I want to inject some drama into our lives. <laughs> okay, let's continue on into what'd you buy? We bought books. I think. we did. We always do. Um, do you want to talk about a book you bought, Drew? Sure. Uh, this is, it's not a purchase, it's something that was sent to us, mm-hmm. um, and it has an interesting connection to some of the stuff we're talking about on the show later. Well, you should probably tell us what it is. Uh, our friends at Counterpoint Press sent us copies of the new Mary Robeson editions, uh-huh. so why did I ever, mm-hmm. but then also uh, one DOA, one on the way, Subtraction, and her short story collection, Tell Me. Mm-hmm. They're all, they're beautiful, and all of them are books that have been out of print that they've brought back into print. I love when they make all the covers sort of thematically match. Yeah, for an it's author. like it's very I think that's bright. That's very cool. Um, but it's very exciting because we were introduced to Mary Robeson on this show thanks to Rachel Kong, um, and we're going to be talking about Goodbye Vitamin later. And when they showed up at my house a couple days ago, I was like, "This is the universe, and it's a sign that everything's going to be great." Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I can't wait to dive into all of them. I just um I just bought a Mary Robeson myself, but it's not my turn. I want Reese to go. <laughs> um, I just pre-ordered Esme Wajun Wajun Wing's book, The Collected Schizophrenia. Oh, okay. cool! Which is coming out in February. Whoa, um, that's an early Wolf. pre-order. Nice. <laughs> Well, it's so important, right, to pre-order books. Yeah, and, yeah so and much relies on... I don't think people may even realize this. You know, pre-order a book if you're excited about it. Yeah. It's, uh, it actually does a lot of help for authors. Yeah. yeah. And it's so fun because often you forget that you did it, and then just like a book shows up in the mail, and you're like, hey, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Thanks, past <laughs> me. to myself. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, it just became available for pre-ordering. It won the Grey Wolf Nonfiction Prize, um, and I think the book will be amazing. Cool. It's cool. That sounds great. Um, Christopher now it's my turn and I did buy this book O, which I originally thought <laughs> inspired the um, action movie Twister <laughs> by Mary Ro- uh, Mary Robeson's uh, old novel but it turns out to be a different thing with Harry Dean Stanton Twister that the book who knew there were two movies called Twister that came out very close to each other yeah and they are very different movies <laughs> yeah, as it turns out I went down a rabbit hole about both of them and I was just- yeah, I'm going to read that novel for sure. But I also, um, I bought Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, A New History of a Lost World by Stephen mm. Brusatti. Mm. 
and it got this like rave review in Washington Post, and it's dinosaur based, and and my five year old self would be so excited. Yeah, he's very happy. Yeah. Anyway, so that is what I bought. Nice. Okay, so now... Yeah, let's talk about... Let's um, talk about the incendiaries. Will you tell our listeners what the book is about? Sure. It's about a young woman. She's in college, and she's drawn into a radical cult with ties to North Korea. And eventually, the cult ends up bombing five buildings in the name of faith. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That is what the book's about, but that's not what the book's about. (laughs) (laughs) It's every... Every encapsulation of the book I've seen finds some different way to, to look at it. And even it. as I was reading it, and there are moments where points of view slip and shift, and there are short chapters and there are long chapters, that everything about the book feels very slippery in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And I kept thinking about that while I was reading it. And I'm, I've am i read a little bit of, of you talking about the process of 10 years of writing this book, but I'm, I, did the book feel slippery to you? Like, what was it like getting getting to this version of the book it felt it felt very much as though as though i was excavating my way toward the book like i felt mm. as though and this and this always this always sounds so strange even when i say it but um it sounds so strange even when i think it but it almost felt as though there's an ideal version of the book out there that i was working my way toward and that the book pre pre-existed me and that i just needed to find my way toward it by revising over and over and over again. Mm. Um, yeah. Were you surprised that that was the process or I, were you, did it feel like an excavation from the very beginning? I think I had no idea what the process would be like. I, mm. I think I had no delusions in that. Well, I didn't think I would ever be a two year per book kind of writer. I mean, right. just like the pace at which I write a short story, it takes me six months to write a short story. So, yeah. Um, I, I figured it would take a little while. I, I wasn't really planning for 10 years, but <laughs> <laughs> that came as a surprise. So, so Will ends up being one of the main narrators and, and he also, you also sort of get the reveal that, um he's the the always narrator he's imagining what these other um point of views might be but they're also very much different from his own voice so i was just curious if you think that i don't know that are you inhabiting will or are you are you observing will as like what which one is happening the most on the page oh that's such an interesting question well Initially, for the first two years, the book was told entirely from Phoebe's point of view, from a first-person Phoebe point of view. Mm -hmm. And so that was a later development that Will became the storyteller. Um, But no, I didn't feel so much that I was observing Will. I did feel as though I'd I'd vote for the side of inhabiting Will. That said, there were so many times when he surprised me or when... Mm-hmm. Or when I was dismayed by 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 things he did, or by choices he made, or by directions that the story took. Mm. I I love hearing authors talk about how characters surprise them, even in like you're you're talking about this idea of excavating towards the thing. But I I never trust an author who's like, oh yeah, I knew what they were doing the whole time. Mm. And there's something it just you can tell in a book, especially like this one where things things do come as a surprise to the reader too. You sort of get that sense that like, wow, 
these characters are living full lives mm-hmm. well, and only some of it's hitting the page. There's so many reversals of yeah. what you think is going on versus what is actually happening. Um, and I think it's because you're blinded by Will's love for, for Phoebe. Um, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, it's like um, Will is dismantling this myth that he told to himself about this girl. And, and and like is holding her accounting accountable for it, I guess, mm. which is a very strange. Um, I don't know it, it, if the book because I read it when I got the arc a long time ago, and like looking back at it, I was just surprised at how much, um, how many times I I realized I didn't trust Will anymore after having read the whole thing. That it mm. felt so much less like a, the exact story and much more filtered through what will was thinking and feeling mm-hmm. i think i love that i think i think i'm in general with my writing and definitely with this book i'm so interested in the disparities between the stories we tell ourselves and and who we are to other people mm. and the, the cracks in between those well and i mean college is the best time to, to be like looking <laughs> at that because you're um you're i don't know you're searching you're searching so deeply and desperately for a new identity or at least like or not even a new one just any like you didn't you don't know even know what you had before um what what did what did college bring to it for you like um because i love campus novels this is a great one to add into the pantheon of campus novels part of it was well i i did do a lot of research um into cults and into terrorist groups for a little while and then I tried to forget everything I'd learned but, <laughs> <laughs> but, <Great>. <laughs> but I it over and over again I was reading that cults and terrorist groups and extremist groups do love to recruit at the high school college level mm-hmm. because that's when people tend to be in a lot of people tend to be in a, in a state of change they t- 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 tend to be looking for other ways to be and so there was that um on the other hand just on a more personal level i i loved college um i loved i loved sitting around and learning and reading um and so in i i i loved getting to spend that time spend time again in those years which i loved um some uh i one reviewer said um that i said that said that will that seems to seems to feel a lot of contempt toward the intellectual curiosity of undergrads and that I, and that I, the writer clearly share um, his contempt. And I I tweeted about the review. I really appreciated the review, but I was also like, I added a PS. um, I feel no contempt for (laughs) no contempt. Just so you know, undergrads love you guys. (laughs) I loved college. College is very problematic in a lot of ways, but also I really loved it. Yeah, well, I, I, I definitely felt like you loved college. It's so beautiful, like the the, the the description of just being of doing that, of hanging out and seeing someone across the quad, mm-hmm. and just like there's these moments of pure beauty, and it's all because you're on a campus, mm. and like I don't know, there was a, a lot of that like golden haze about the especially yeah. the truly like collegiate, like is she going to be in class today scenes. Yeah, I think I, um, I mean, I grew up in Southern California in a small town on the border outside of LA, um, on the border of LA and Orange counties. And, um, there wasn't a lot of architectural beauty, I'd Mm -hmm. say right where I grew up. And so going to college on the East coast to a Gothic campus, um, I remember just walking around stunned by, stunned by the physical beauty of the place. (laughs) 
I feel like I'm pr- particularly susceptible to like one of the commune cults, like the um, like Lauren Groff's Ar- Arcadia. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. Like I feel like I would, I, if they came looking for me, I'd be like, yeah, all right, <laughs> 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 sounds great. I, please, like let's let's go back to the woods. Um, I I mean actually, John Leal is is this fascinating character, and he's like very much on the page, but he's also like not actually on the page very much. Um, how do you write someone that's like believably enigmatic and still magnetic as a way? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like the creation of a cult leader is an incredibly difficult thing to do if they're supposed to be believable. Yeah. Well, um, a general organizing principle of the book for me was that I never wanted to stray outside the confines of what Will could either know or imagine about what happened. Mm -hmm. And so that meant that Mm. naturally he had a very limited access to what he could know or imagine about John Leal. Um, And so he has, he has more access to Phoebe, but he has far less to John Leal. And so he is observing John Leal in a lot of ways from the outside. Um, And that means that he's observing John Leal through a lot of John Leal's power comes from his use of language and from his, and from his command over storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways though, this again, I worry this sounds strange, but in some ways he was the most fun to write. As a, as a writer, because he, because since his power is so dependent on language, it meant that I could depend on language myself in trying to, in trying to evoke him. Mm. We've been talking a lot about stories and the stories we tell ourselves and sort of magnetic leadership. And the thing that I, that I really loved the most about this book, um, is the treatment of religion. Yeah. I can't think of another modern book that explores religion like this yeah that explores religion almost at all but certainly not like this so yeah i guess the prompt is like where where did it come from for you yeah yeah um thank you for saying that that means a lot to me i the i'd say that the just like first genesis of this book was i really so i grew up deeply religious um i lost my faith when i was 17 and it was so painful for me to lose my faith. Um, it remains painful. And I, I just, I wanted to give witness to both sides of this. I wanted to give witness to how painful that was to, um, to leave, to leave, to leave, to leave the God I love, the faith I loved. Um, but also to how wonderful it was to believe back when I did. And I wanted to portray these varieties of experience, at least as, as I've experienced them mm-hmm. in this book. Mm. And it's interesting because there's a you even per, um, I even feel like Phoebe's piano playing is a great like, oh yeah. her belief in like what piano can do for her and then the falling away from it really felt like a loss of faith. Yeah, I mean, I know piano. You know, it's <laughs> it's a it's an unforgiving inf- instrument. <laughs> <laughs> did you play piano? I I did. Um, I played seriously until I was about eleven. At least seriously enough that. Um, a life in music conservatory that was a possible option. Oh wow! But I was never as good as Phoebe is. It was it was very <laughs> fun to make Phoebe very good, <laughs> much better than I ever was. Um, but I do. I mean, for me, it became very clear that I should not be a, try to be a pianist when um, I would get good enough. So often, when you're practicing piano, as you may know, it's useful to practice with just one hand mm-hmm. because you're focusing on um, on the mechanics or the whatever. Um, 
but I got very good at being at practicing with one hand and reading with the other so that <laughs> supervising adults in the house would assume that I was that I was genuinely practicing versus just like rote <laughs> running wow. my hand up and down the keyboard and um, I think at 11 I realized if the piano can't sustain my interest long enough for me to practice <laughs> on a given day without turning to a book then this is this is not the this is not the life for me yeah. <laughs> I, I have one more question and it's about sort of the topical nature of the book in in a a weird oh, yeah. way that I can't imagine you were necessarily predicting certainly when you started writing the book um but there's like Terrorism. Terrorism specifically related to North Korea, too. Mm -hmm. And North Korea has been a boogeyman of the United States for a long, long time. But there's something, as I was reading it, that I just was like, oh, whoa, wow. And I I thought back to books that I've read that have dealt with North Korea, like The Orphan Master's Son. Um, But this, this book felt charged to me in a way. And I'm wondering if... I'm wondering how it has felt to you to, like watch the news play out Mm -hmm. knowing that you're gonna be going out to talk about this book yeah and like do you uh, is there anything you want to add or change or does it feel like it does it feel like it's all of a piece yeah so um for me in writing about north korea it it, it rose it wasn't well i tend not to be a very top-down writer in general and so it just arose out of my own um I have distant family who lives or lived in North Korea and I was reading a lot about North Korea, um, not even, not for the book, but just out of my own personal curiosity and longing for this aspect of my family that I know nothing about. Um, and when my, and when my, and when John Neal started taking on this ambiguous North Korean past, I very much wanted to never, I, n- I never wanted to pretend that I knew anything about North Korea beyond what little, can be known from the few accounts that we have at least available in the English language and so I wanted the book to portray that ambiguity and that unknowing itself rather than rather than to make claims about a place that I've never visited and that most people can't visit right um it's very different than writing about say Vancouver you know like we can we can visit Vancouver there are google there are google images all over Vancouver there aren't of North Korea so I felt very I just did not want to, I didn't want to pretend, well, to put it differently, um, a newspaper recently was asking my opinion of the summit in Singapore um, with 45 and, and North Korea. And I was just like, I'm, I have no expertise on this matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a fiction writer who yeah. has read, who has read about North Korea, but that doesn't mean I, you do not want my, I, I cannot be a pundit for you. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I want to pivot and talk about the book that you brought because I think it's very interesting to think about these books as having been written by people that know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that, that to me, I know why. It's because I t- took an MFA class and I know that writers workshops really do like change people like you make your work better with other people reading it and helping you out. Um, so it's very interesting that you brought goodbye vitamin by Rachel Kong, a book that we have featured and works. We were so excited to read again. Yeah. Would you tell us a little bit about why about, you brought this? Yeah. 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 I, 
I don't know. I just, I love this book so much. I keep recommending it to people. I feel as though the book just moved me so deeply. It broke my heart over and over again in such unexpected ways. And it was so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It made me yeah. laugh over and over again. Um, so I'm not sure that Rachel would agree with me um, on this, but I feel as though the book grapples with questions about how to be human and how to be how to just be on this earth um especially toward the people you love and in ways that i found to be unique and very exciting yeah well it was so exciting to reread this Mm. book and go back to it because one i rarely get the chance to do that yeah ditto um and two it was funny like i've read this book pretty recently but i didn't remember a lot of the plot but i did realize that these ideas and these um, themes that she was playing with have really resonated and they've, they're things that I've been thinking about and like they've separated from the book and they're just like now ideas that I just am grappling with <laughs> it's just like how to be a good son like how to be a good you know uh, progeny to your parents <laughs> um, and also it was interesting to go back to this having read your novel and think about how like Will is sort of dismantling this myth of Phoebe to himself and she and um and the main character in Goodbye Vitamin is looking at her parents and dismantling the idea of what like they were to her and versus what they are now to herself as they as she gets to know them again in this newly intimate way. Yeah. There's always something really fun about the pairings of these books, especially when you sort of get to look at them and think about them back to back. And sometimes you're like, okay, this book was written 45 years ago, and so I'm drawing these connections. But then to know that like the two of you know each other and work together there are ways in which i don't know i it it might be a logical fallacy but it feels like oh there's something even on like a very subliminal level where these books they fit together in a cool way yeah do you um do you remember any like things that you guys talked about in writers groups i don't don't know if you uh could wanted to shed light on that sort of um connection and like what you guys talked about for your own work as you were helping each other through it, or were you? Well, she sold this book um, before she joined the writers group, oh, so and there you so, go. Hmm. and I think she'd pretty much finished. I think she'd more. She was editing it um, by the time she joined the writers group. So I don't think I don't think that conversation very informed the book very much. It was a logical fallacy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, she's a she's a good friend, and I think we are interested in um, in at least some questions of how to be how to be on this earth and how to. How to be, yeah, again, how to be human. I I find that to be terribly moving about um, Marilyn Robinson's books, Mm. too, is that she's grappling, she's often, or her characters are often sort of struggling with or grappling with or contending with notions of of how to be, like, Marilyn Robinson writes good people, Mm -hmm. which I think can be so hard. It's so much easier to write, or it's so much more immediately easy to write evil characters like the mm-hmm. joker is just interesting at once you know he's right. just wandering around creating havoc um right to have to have the motivation just to create madness is one thing but to like try to not try to cut through the madness and make your own logic that is a, a much more difficult thing um it's funny as i was describing your book to somebody the other day i was like yeah it's a little bit marilyn robinson it's a little bit graham green and like American pastoral, but better. 
And I don't know. I definitely thought of Secret History too. Oh yeah. Um, and I've been seeing Secret History mentioned. I think in 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 reviews of the book, and um, I don't know. I feel like erroneously. Like <laughs> I don't, I feel like they're applying it in a way that I don't ever. I had a different understanding of Secret History than like the people that are reviewing it and comparing it to your novel. Um, but I do think that there is something there in like throwing yourself into a, into dangerous ideas and and not and feeling like you're still sort of an invincible teenager when you're actually making much more difficult decisions. One thing that was interesting about Goodbye Vitamin, especially thinking about your work, is um, Rachel does a lot with like very specific detail-oriented moments of like, I just flipped to a moment of, her, of someone peeling a hard-boiled egg and like the, the very tactile and small that she's exploring with as the, the full faculty of language. And, and then incendiaries, I feel like there's so much more like thoughts and ethereal moments and less about like the tactile and more about the brain. Um, and so I, I, but it's interesting, like they both end up being these short novels and there's something gorgeous about a short novel. I, I, I feel like you get these, you can get so much done in ways that a long novels don't always feel like you did the same like you you've traveled further for less of a yeah less of a payoff well at some point this book was um at some point i think this book was a hundred thousand words long so it was wow Mm. you know significantly longer than the 44 ish thousand words um that it is now and there was a whole section um told from the point of view of phoebe's father from 70s 1970s south korea Mm. Um, that I just completely threw out and it wasn't, it wasn't working for me in large part because at least at the time in large part, because I couldn't feel my way into the sensory details of 1970s South Korea because Mm -hmm. I wasn't alive then. Um, and I've spent very little time in South Korea. I was born there, but I moved to the U S when I was three. So I was just like, I mean, what did things smell like? Like, what did that, like, I couldn't, that's often how, if I'm stuck with my writing, it often helps to ask myself, what are the characters feeling? What are they smelling? What are they, like, how does that tactile sensory world feel? And so without that, I couldn't, I couldn't bring that, what amounts to historical fiction to life at all. Um, and I don't know how other writers do it. I envy their ability to do that. <laughs> but um, So what, what, what draws you to a book like Goodbye Vitamin other than, I mean, like, would, is this the sort of thing that you read or do you, um, what sort of reader are you, I guess? sort of reader am i oh my goodness i don't know i feel as though i just bounce from friends recommendations to friends recommendations um i do also i mean i i love let's see it's important it's increasingly important to me to read and support writers whose voices have not been heard as much um in the past and so it's been really exciting to me to see. I think especially this year, there's been a relative bonanza of Asian-American writers, um, especially Asian-American women writers who are publishing mm-hmm. books for the first time. Mm-hmm. This summer, there's, there, are, there are, relatively speaking, again, so many. Um, and so I, I just, I want to support that and I want to be able to talk about it. I want to be, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, also, I, I'm, I'm also at the same time, I'm, I, I do love to reread um, and some of my some of my favorites like Virginia Woolf I'm always rereading um, she's she gives me something every single time I reread her yeah 
Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Dalloway is one of the few books that I have read more than twice. Yeah. And it's one of those books that I see myself already like, okay, yeah, I'm coming up on the next time I go, I'm going to go back to that book. Yeah. Um, to talk about Goodbye Vitamin a little bit more is something that I was thinking about going through this time was like, how does this book feel so light? Like, how does this, how is she so funny? Like when she's dealing, I don't, I didn't have an answer because it, it is, it's an unexpectedly sentimental and like, you know, devastating book. Um, but at the same time, it's also light. Like it doesn't feel like it's dipping you in, Mm -hmm. in overwrought emotion ever. It really feels like it's, I don't, and I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on, on what it was. So I'm just asking you guys, what do you think that is? Cause it did, does it feel light to you to light is, and I mean that in the way that you want like a piece of cake to be light, like the way that you want, you know, lighting to be soft, you know, I don't know. Right. I don't mean that light by, by mind of not saying that it's um substantial because it definitely is. Well, I think it, I think it goes back to how funny the book is. I mean, there are just so many moments when I was laughing hysterically and my husband read the book right after me. And, um, and I was just like, I was like, I was like being a creep and I would, I would just be like, but have you gotten to, to the scene with the ants yet? Isn't it so funny? <laughs> and he was, and he was just like, dude, I'm on like page 30. Can you chill out? <laughs> you chill out? <laughs> um, but I think that that's part of what makes the book so crushing is that when the, is that when the crushing moments come, especially, Oh my God, th- some of her scenes with her mother and her father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like your heart just gets, smashed and pulverized and it for me at least it made me each each of those scenes made me rethink what kind of daughter am i like Mm -hmm. what kind of what Mm -hmm. kind of person am i what kind of family member am i am i actually am i being the daughter i want to be right am i being the sister i want to be um Mm -hmm. and i think that i think that that balance she she manages balancing the two so well the, the 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 sorrow and the heartbreak and the and the weight with with like deeply funny scenes about ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, who, you know, ants feel so serious too. When you have ants, come on. It's like, sure. it's like, well, I'm going to, wa- I'm going to war. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, I think it's that, it's that. It's that you're always fighting ants. It's always fighting <laughs> In our daily lives, there are these things that take on like totemic struggle. And in reality, it's like, some ants came in the window like it's not that big of a deal yeah but these like but then you put them up against like a parent dying of alzheimer's Mm. and you're like both weirdly human beings are able to make both of those things feel if not equally huge Mm. like pretty close yeah and I, I, there's it, it can take up your whole brain. Yeah, and so the the flip side of that, I think, is the idea that potentially those two things can be equally as big, or equally as like, well, this is the next thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. And I I don't I cannot for the life of me figure out the alchemy of it. But mm-hmm. I feel like that's what she does with this book, where the big things are able to be small and the small things are able to be big, and it sort of it forces you to reframe or at least balance out your framework a little bit as you read the book. I see that too. I've been thinking about this, um, that about my, about my own ability to sort of balance my, well, 
exactly no one in my life has ever called me chill. That's not, <laughs> not, a, not an accusation that's ever been leveled against me, but I've been trying to figure out ways to be just a little bit more chill, just mm-hmm. to, just to, just to panic a little bit less when there are ants in the house, which is a true crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. And I, the other answer that I have recently discovered is CBD oil. Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah. Mm. That's nice stuff. Um, we should, if, if we're going to start recommending things, let's recommend some stuff. Sure. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Do you want to recommend something? I do. Um, one, CBD oil. Okay. Uh, but then two books that have come out recently um friends of the show folks we've had on their new books that have come out one is edgar cantero's this body's not big enough for the both of us mm-hmm. um which is just i i just love edgar's writing and the the fact that he pulls off a cold open in a novel uh-huh that alone i was like yeah i'm sold but then he just he takes every concept of the crime story and the like the hard boiled PI throws it through a blender and then is like, you know what? I'm also going to talk about gender and how it is a complete construct and it's bullshit the way that we think about a gender binary. Mm. Mm. Um, and I loved it. It's, it's that way that like, I think the best way to sneak revolutionary thought into people's minds is through something that they think is confection. Uh, and that the book really did it for me. Um, and the other book I want to recommend is Laura Vandenberg's new one, The Third Hotel, which actually I'm about to reread. I read it a while ago when it came out as an arc, and it's just it's sort of been lodged in my mind like a splinter for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited to go back. I love her work, and I I have from her very first collection. Um, and this novel is just it's so. I don't know in in a in a way that feels actually very similar to the incendiaries. It's just slippery. Like I can't quite get a hold on it, mm-hmm. and so I want to go back to it, not because I feel like I need to figure something out, but just because I want the pleasure of trying to do it again. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Reese. Yeah. Just to build on that, I wasn't. Um, I also Laura Vandenberg's book has really the third hotel has really haunted me. I. I've told Laura this, but um, after I read it, um, the 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 two sort of central characters, Claire and her dead husband, followed me into my dreams, and I I dreamed that I was with Claire hunting for her husband, and we were in um we were at Sundance, and then I think we ended up in LA. My my sense of geography is terrible, and my dream (laughs) sense of geography is also terrible. So I have no idea how this happened so fast, but. Then we ended up in a movie theater and at some point the movie theater was just like full of manifestations of her dead husband. It was wow. the creepiest, most memorable dream. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. So that's how good this book is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. it's just truly, literally haunting. Yeah. Cool. Uh, did you want to recommend anything else? or Because you said that one kind of took you by surprise. Oh, um, well... The book, I mean, I've loved Laura's book since, I don't even know, I think I first read her, I mean, I've loved her writing since I think I first read her writing in 2009. And Whoa. And <laughs> <laughs> I've loved her writing since then. Um, let's see. 
a book that's coming out in just a couple of weeks, I think, or a week and a half. It's already Monday. Um, is Vanessa Hua's um book, which it's her first novel, and she had a collection before this. And the novel's called A River of Stars, mm. and it's I've seen the cover. Good cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a uh, it's a the word propulsive is always always so strange, but it's a propulsive read that um let me put it this way: my husband who loves food never skips brunch canceled brunch plans so that he could keep reading and finish the book cool (laughs) there you go that's a good recommendation right there yeah it's making you skip good food yeah and mimosas yeah (laughs) and vanessa describes it as um bonnie and clyde but with two pregnant women on the lamb cool cool i'm sold yeah that's a great that's a good pitch christopher um, so I have been listening to an Elvis Presley biography. Um, it's two volumes and it's 60 hours as an audiobook. Good Lord. And I finally finished. Um, this, so the second volume <laughs> Spoilers, is Spoilers. He didn't make it. Yeah. I was so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, so it's, the second volume is called Careless Love, The Unmaking of Elvis Presley. Um, and the first one was called Last Train to Memphis. And honestly, um, there are uh, like once a year or so, I feel like I have these sort of reading experiences where it's just transcendent and it's more than a book and it becomes like a complete experience where I'm listening to Elvis music and like he's popping up everywhere and he's actually a pretty solid Instagram follow. Um, (laughs) And he's just like, I don't know, like I'm just fascinated by Elvis and like knowing about his life is um, enhancing so many things because he's everywhere still and you like little little oblique references take on these like huge portent of meaning because like i didn't know anything about elvis before i listened to this book i wasn't like a big fan or anything um i knew a few of the songs and the jailhouse rock video and now i'm just completely and utterly obsessed and ready to take a pilgrimage to Graceland. Oh, wow. <laughs> Anybody wants to come. Uh, it's, and it's an incredible audiobook too. Um, it's, I highly recommend taking this experience. I t- it took me from April <laughs> until last week. Nice. Wow. And it's just fantastic. I loved it so much. Um, and so I'm not even, I was going to recommend something else, but I'm just going to instead recommend that twice. Uh, like 60 hours. 60 That's quite hours. A bit. Yeah. Do it. It's so worth it. <laughs> I did not have, Really, it was just like, oh, I should probably learn about this Elvis guy. And then I'd heard that this was sort of um, an achievement in the form of biography. Like it's like there's never been a biography written about a music icon this good and this like exhaustive. And I totally agree. Like it's completely evocative. And I just know Elvis in a deep, deep way. I feel like now. Cool. The myth anyway. Sure. It's impossible to know the man. That's what I learned. (laughs) 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 Okay. Thank you so much, um, Reese, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, everybody out there in in uh, podcast land, we would love it if you do one or none or some of these three things. One is we would like you to go <laughs> to patreon.com slash smdb. And um, if you want to contribute, we, even a dollar is very helpful. Um, two, please leave us an iTunes review. Um, I really appreciate it when you do that means a lot to me we're over 100 now and it means christopher the texts world. me every time yep it's pretty great we're at 108 right now <laughs> and i think about it too often 
And the third thing you should do is go and buy the incendiaries because it's fantastic and yeah. it deserves all the buzz that it's getting. Um, and we're so excited that you could come and join us and talk to us about the book. Thank you so much for having me here. This is so fun. And, oh, thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll go read a book now. Yep. That's Maybe. what I'm going to do. Yeah, me too. Bye. 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 Bye.